The following is an original audio series from Sierra International Machinery, Pile of Scrap, with your host, John Sacco. Well, we're going to do probably one of the most special episodes of Pile of Scrap. Here with my nephew, Little Phil. Sorry for the little, you're 32 years Don't old. Don't say sorry, I've always been Little Phil. You will always be Little <laughs> Phil. I'm here with Stan Silva Jr. Yep. Buddy to me. Yep. All my life, you've been buddy. Right. A couple years. And Stan Silva the third, but little bud. The difference between you, buddy, and Philip, your fourth generation. Yeah. Little Phil, your third generation at Sierra. My dad and Bud, your dad. How did they become friends? Where, how did they get to know each other? Where did that start? Was it Terry Glukoff that introduced? Yes. Yeah, Terry Glukoff. Because that's when we were looking at um, doing portable work. And so that's what really started this whole thing. And, yeah, well, um, well, you guys, well, you know, the Silva family in Sierra, you're the number two customer at Sierra. When it got all said and done, and it was because of Terry Glukoff, because he was at Judston Steel. Mm-hmm. Buying bundles, and we bought the 4200, the first one. Everybody said to my dad, you're crazy buying a uh, foreign baler. You're not going to get parts. You're not going to get Sarah, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it was killing it on production. He calls Terry Glukoff, says, you got to see this baler I got. I'm making number two bills. So Terry comes down, and he looks at the baler and says, my brother needs one of these. So the very first baler that came to Sierra, the 4200, ended up, at S&G, which was uh, Steve Glukoff. On Hyatt Street. And (laughs) he knew where. (laughs) I might have went there once or twice. (laughs) And then from there, something happened and it ended up at an A&S Metals, but it is an A&S that you are in Oregon. And then you guys came down but who, how did that, do you, were you part of that? Did you come down with your no, dad or no. your dad just came home one with day ter- said, with Terry met them, um, Terry and, and dad went down to Bakersfield and met with your dad. See, I don't, I wasn't part of that. I wasn't either. Cause you were, you were in school. At I that was time, finishing up USC, right? my senior yeah. year at USC when that all went down. And I was just being a dumb truck driver. <laughs> a dumb truck driver. All right. Well, that segues <laughs> right in. Because the question I was contemplating, when did you know you wanted to be a scrap man? You looked at me, I always wanted to be a trucker. The first time I remember sitting in a truck is uh, dad was driving an old international transfer. And it, and it was an old bubble nose transfer. And and um, I was sitting in a big wide seat and I bet you I was probably four years old. I knew if I rode with dad in the truck, I was spending time with dad, you know? And so as I uh, spent more time with dad, I obviously uh, enjoyed <laughs> parts of going places. Well, where, okay, going places. Where yeah. was he going? Was he hauling scrap or what was he doing? Well, okay. back in those days, he was hauling gravel uh, as a part-time job. And he was hauling logs. Uh, he was in, uh, he, he drove uh, an old 58 Peterbilt hauling wood chips up to Antioch through the old Vosco grade and, you know, the old school roads that I vaguely remember. Where does scrap come into this? When, when does the metals come into this? Well, we, uh, my, my grandfather, back in the late 60s, was a uh, scale master. Grandpa George worked the scale at the landfill. Yeah. Sees all the scrap metal going in, and he's thinking, aha, 
this shouldn't, this isn't right. So they got together. My my grandfather and my dad got hooked up with my grandma's two brothers, the Ash, Edward and James Ash, who were well drillers and loggers. Who my dad was a, a tree a logger back in the day. He uh, logged. Actually, he had a limb go through his chest and almost killed him when I when I was in my mom's womb. You know, right after uh, my mom found out uh, she was pregnant with me, my dad had a limb go through his chest. She was trying to kill him, I think. Yeah, no. Yeah, no, no, not, not at that time, maybe. But um, as dad was doing, you know, 10 different jobs every day. Um, 20 hours a day of work. Yeah. Every day. So um, they developed this co-op between, you know, the, the two uncles and my dad and my grandfather, which started A&S Metals. My first job um, at ANS when I was real little was they would build, burn, get a back of a pickup bed, put all the copper in the back of it, burn it, and then you'd have to go in there and cut all the ends off, and that's that was my job. How old were you when you were cutting off the ends of that copper? Wire? I, was, I was about eight years old. Nine Did your years dad old. ever make you do that? No, I, I tried to stay on equipment. I got smart quick. I didn't want to do it. Well, you, got, did, you were lucky. Yeah. He was spoiled. Not well, smart. yeah, but you know what? He got on equipment. I, really? Yeah. I, mean, I see. I, again, I, I said this earlier today, guys. The only piece of equipment I was ever allowed to run at Sierra as a kid growing up was the upstroke baler. And that was for bailing bags. Mm -hmm. That wasn't even for the metal room. See, that's you just so to, funny to me because my grandpa. To, said, yeah, you yeah, got to do the excavators yeah. with the shear, run the big shears in there. At Not seven me. years old, I was running the stick shear. Let's fast forward to today. I got to drive a semi truck for the very first time in my entire life. I'm 58 years old. You guys, you told me a story. You were how old when you drove your first truck? Well, I was in that same truck uh, going across the Montana Utah border with a step. How deck, old? Uh, 12. Tw I shouldn't say that on camera. But and how old were you when you soloed your first semi? I'm about 12 years old. Think about it because that's our youth, buddy. Mm -hmm. And then these kids had a different set of youth, but how about your father, grandfather, and my father? I mean, that was in the Wild West almost for modern day, you know, post-World War II. And, you know, you two guys are the, you know, the bloodline of hardworking people, grandfathers. Absolutely. Okay. And it's far Both in between. your grandfather and, and, and buddy, your grandfather, you know, Work is what they love. Work is what they knew. That, it, but it was work and family. Work and family. There was work, no work. Was their retirement life? I mean, that's what that's what they wanted to do when they retired. Is they wanted to work. What I what know else? about you, bud, and your family, and just how you are. And I think about my huh? grandpa a lot. At eighty-seven years old, eighty-six oh, wow. years old, he was still in the office five, six days a week. Oh, I know. He'd go no. get chemo, and then he'd be in the office. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, that was the work ethic. Work ethic, and because that. Also, their brains worked in a way that, you know, they didn't have the hobbies we have. Okay. Now they, your dad was a hunter. Yeah, I mean, you could color him gone. You can color him gone in uh, in October. He'd go hunting. But all year long. All year long. But that's um. Uh, but you know, a hunter is a funny thing, because they work all year to do to go hunting too. It's kind of like their reward. Right? You know, it's not like a vacation on the beach in Hawaii to them. It's because hunting's work. Now, you're a hunter. You're a big time. Are you a hunter, bud? Absolutely, yes, sir. So, 
interesting thing. Let's get back to this uh, ANS thing because there's something that I found fascinating today. You guys had a little Murph yeah. here in Castroville, and so did Waste Management. Yeah. Neither of you guys have a Murph anymore. What happened? Several different ways or reasons. We got out of it because they're the market um, for plastic was gone, and and we just kept fighting it and fighting it and losing money and losing money. So we jumped out. And then when we jumped out um, around our area, they put a new MRF in, oh, probably about a year and a half, two years later, here locally. And then that's when waste management got out because they um, didn't, wasn't able to fulfill that contract anymore. But fortunately, we got out. And then they have all these residual, you know, all the, the plastics that they need to take out of the environment. So they, they weigh it in as a recyclable and then there there's no money to redeem that so they're taking it back to the face and then and then burying it so it, it's a it's a it's a big facade it's a we're doing right over here but in the left they're not you know they're not saying what Behind they're the yeah when the government gets involved with business profit is thrown out because they just rely on extra money in the budget from more taxes and yet they're still Budgets. not fulfilling the real, true, you know, duty of recycling. Is okay. getting it out of it because there is so little money involved with certain products in the recycling stream. So the household's really going to have to pay for it. Absolutely. So the more green we are, the more expensive it, pay, it takes for our... Uh, homeowners to to pay because it's being ran by um, government that they just put a budget to it. And I think when all these governments, you know, municipalities and counties, whatever, what have you, are doing these MRFs and they're losing their butts on them because of the cost, that's when they come up with these, the regulators come up with these nefarious plans to lump in a commodity like scrap metal copper, aluminum, and stainless, what, cardboard? You know, these are commodities. These are commodities that are consumed here in the U.S. to make all the new product, new packaging, new, you know, trucks out of steel and aluminum for motor blocks and copper for all the electrical. Hell, you can't build a ventilator for COVID-19 patients without recyclable products in it. Absolutely. You need cardboard for the packaging. You need a, a, a copper for the wiring to turn it on. You got a little aluminum wire. You got plastic, steel stand in it. It's all from a recycled product. But they want to lump that product, that's a commodity, and they want to call it waste. Because as soon as they call it waste, they own it. Yeah. And we no longer get to control that commodity. Yeah. And that's, that's the part that I think we all have to stand up against because we are not a waste. We, our industry is not waste handling. Because we don't handle waste, we handle a commodity or commodity processes. Yep. Really, you look at the root of it, they're raw resources. Right. Well, I mean, well yes, we are the raw are. materials for, you know, raw materials for critical manufacturing. And that's why during COVID, our industry got to stay open. Right. Okay. Critical manufacturing. We essential. Yeah. We are essential yeah. because without our materials, steel. Okay. Jason Young from the Allen Company told me that without recycled cardboard, and if they closed every recycling center 
because they deemed us non-essential. Paper mills would run out of paper in two weeks. Really? Two weeks. Yep. Food packaging was less than a month. You wouldn't even be able to distribute food anymore. Yeah. Which, so, I mean, crazy. So, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it needs to be said. You know, and, and part of our efforts, and look, let's face it, but we always seem to be battling the government in respect to the regulatory burden placed on us. And it keeps, it's getting harder and harder and harder. But the government knows all their little MRFs, they lose their ass. They don't know how to recycle for profit. And they're not going to handle commodities in a profitable way. Well, heck no. Can you imagine them trying to run our businesses? Now, you're talking about institutional knowledge that stems from your grandfather, my father, our fathers, to your grandfathers that's been passed down. This is generations of knowledge being passed down, how to do things and how to do things right. And I think that's vitally important. And that's why the, the, the our industry always seems to improve because of okay. the next generation is, has learned from their forefathers and now they're improving. I got a question for both little Phil and little Bud here. Tell us something, the one memory of grandpa is the first memory you always think of. Little Bud, you go first. God damn it, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear that, I can hear it. So I think of my grandpa now that, that you said that and I think now I just shifted my gears. When he was mad, he'd go, you imbecile! <laughs> well, his favorite saying is when he get he would get upset at somebody who who he he didn't agree with or something. He would say to him, and he'd always have a cigarette in his mouth. He'd be yep. take a drag, and always. then he'd go, you know, you remind me of a good friend of mine that's an imbecile. Yep. <laughs> the thing that comes to mind first when I think of my grandpa is all the years growing up. I mean, from little, little, little kid that in today's world, you couldn't even have a kid that young, even in the yard, probably. But uh, just walking around and him teaching me about the piles and different non-ferruses and, you know, different grades and how to blend to make an 80-20, 70-30 mix. And just like all the years when it was just walks with grandpa through the scrapyard and looking at equipment, the whole time he was grooming you and teaching you and, and I didn't realize that until really, unfortunately, after he had passed away and I had come back from college and, you know, full time in the company now. Well, the one memory I have of your grandfather, your dad, I mean, there are a lot of memories, but I was always thankful he liked me because he scared the hell out of me because he was the most <laughs> burly dude. That. When you shake his hand, you had to be prepared. But I mean, he was a sweetheart of a man. Big but he bear, man. But Boy, oh boy, you know, you went when he went to shake your hand, you better be ready because you were going to get a good old fashioned, not because he tried, but you were going to get a good old fashioned knuckle cruncher just because he you was didn't just realize the, most, the strength he had. Oh, he had amazing strength, but he yeah. was, you just, you just looked at your grandfather and just hard work. That was it. Just hard work. He just screamed like a it's billboard. Life. I work hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's, yeah. It, you know, and we're blessed. Look, guys, we sit here today at this table because of that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because of that dedication, that hard work, their honesty, their integrity, and their character. 
sits us at this table to be able to tell this story. That's the blessings and we all, all have. All the opportunities, you know, that, and, you know, I'd see that today is all the opportunities that my dad gave me and he would do without to make sure that I was doing it, you know, and, or he would put the time in and, you know, as I was growing up in, in my teens and twenties, he would, he would stay working for me while I was out, you know, he would let me go ahead and go do this, you know, and I see that right now, you know, yeah. you know, he, and he has a different, um, you know, or different desire that he's doing now than I was doing in my um, younger years. But, you know, and, and it's things that it's, yeah, it's things that, you know, that dad did for me and, and my three sisters and my mom, you know, and, and where, where he uh, created, created our legacy and, and the hard, 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 hard work. You know, and having, you know, a, a dedication. He, he, he was more dedicated and had, had and more determined than any person that he had ever known. Determined. You know, determined would, would describe be. Describe him the best. Yeah. Determined. Never say no. Yeah, I so. think the word for my dad was fearless. Yeah. You know, as an immigrant to the country, broke after World War II. I mean, you know, you're in World War II. You're, you're prepared to die at any moment, right? Not that you're prepared, but you know, so he was always fearless. Uh, this is only part of our day. This is yeah. part of our podcast that's gonna end. And I wanna thank you, Buddy Junior, the third, actually. For yeah. Buddy Junior, the third, there you go. Yeah. And what a name that is, yeah. for joining us at lunch. Thanks for having us. Well, it, it, it was, it, no way we could sit here without you. No way we could sit here without you, Phil. And of course, Good old friends. My brother. Yeah. Love you, man. Ditto. Thank you so much for all this. Yeah. And you know what? You know, there's one thing too you brought up is one thing about our parents that nobody knows about that you said. That yeah, right. Say. One thing about him is I've never seen or met another person that takes better care of their employees and treats them like family. I mean, if you work for us, you're, you're part of the family. All right. And this has been another episode of Pile of Scrap. Scrap. This has been a Sierra International Machinery original audio series. Thanks for listening. Please share this podcast and make sure to subscribe.